Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't he good? I heard someone sharing once that um, as amazing as the Lord is, sometimes the best word we can find to describe him is good. It's like the inability to describe how great he is, but he is good. And uh, someone once told me, I haven't really studied it out, but I think they were a credible source. That in Genesis 1, when it says the Lord made this and saw it and said that it was good, that word good there meant there was none better. And, uh, you know, when the Lord makes something, he makes it good. Amen? He makes it good. And so when the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, that means we've been remade and he made us good. Amen? Thankful for that. Um. I want to look at something tonight in Scripture. I don't know if I've ever looked at before, and we'll just see what the Lord will do with it. He's really dealing with my heart here. Um, and uh, I'm just not sure where we'll end up and all that, but that's okay. John chapter 2, if you'd go there with me. Uh, John chapter 2 is... Um, it's a passage of scripture that's sort of famous for being the first recorded miracle of Jesus Christ when he turned water into wine. That's not what we want to talk about. But uh, in John chapter number two, I want us to look at verse number. Um, let's just pick up at verse number 12. And so he left Cana after that miracle. Verse 12 and after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. So, verse 13, the Jews' Passover was at hand, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Our screen's not projecting up here for some reason. I saw some heads looking backwards, and I thought, well, we can help you with that. Give it a second there. I think it's good to see the words. Amen? Maybe, maybe I hear it. So we'll read, and you follow along, and in a second, it'll just appear there. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple... So he's made his way to the temple now, right? And he found something there, not what you and I would expect. He found in the temple those that sold oxen. Can you imagine that? Oxen in the temple? I mean, I, you know, they were sell, I've read they were selling doves and stuff, and that I can sort of picture, but oxen in the temple. A cattle market at the temple. That's what this was. They sold oxen and sheep and doves. He found this in the temple, and there were changers of money sitting there. When he had made a scourge of small cords or a whip, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overthrew the tables. He said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. 
Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Interesting passage in scripture there, isn't it? Can you picture Jesus? You know, nobody's ever painted this picture. <laughs> right? It's always kind and gentle and or maybe on the cross where he's gone through some suffering, but nobody's ever painted the picture of Jesus with an angry look on his face and driving things out of the temple. And the zeal of the Lord did this. The zeal of the Lord did this. And so the interesting thing about this, I'd never realized this before. This is the first public, openly public act that Jesus did in his ministry. I mean, I know just before he turned water into wine, but that wasn't necessarily openly public. That was those that were there at the wedding. This is a out in the middle of the public. Everybody's seeing it. This was his first openly public act is to drive all this out of the temple. Let's read some more. Matthew... Chapter number 23, I think is where I want to go. Yeah, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read a little bit of scripture all right here at the outset. And uh, I know we usually don't do that. We usually read, talk, read, talk. I just want to read the scripture and then we'll come back and believe the Holy Ghost to help us. Continue to help us here. Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. So he's talking about these religious leaders when he says sit in Moses' seat, there was a place in the temple known as Moses' seat. But also they're sitting in the place of declaring the, the words of Moses from Old Testament scripture. And so when he's saying observe and do that, he's saying observe and do the things they're sharing with you from the scripture. Then he draws a contrast and he says, but do not ye after their works. For they say and they do not. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders that they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, that's their robes. I always think of a dinosaur flying, I think of a pterodactyl there instead of a, I don't know why, but. Their phylacteries are their robes, these big robes. They could stretch them out, maybe like pterodactyl wings, so everybody could see them and then drop their arms back. That's these big fancy robes. They make wide. They stretch their arms out so everybody can see them. And uh, they enlarge the borders of their garments. The reason they do that is because around the border they'd put a hem and a fringe that sort of spoke of status. And if they made the the if they made the border of their garment larger, they could put more fringe and more stuff around it to become more visible. 
Sort of like New Testament bling back in the first century, I guess. Verse 6, and they love the upper, watch this, they love the uppermost room at the feast and chief seats. Where do they want the chief seats? In the church, in the synagogue, in the temple. And they love greetings in the markets to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. All right. One other place in Scripture, Matthew 21. Verse 12. Now, it's interesting that those men we just read about in Matthew 23 would allow oxen and sheep to be sold in the temple. That they would hold sitting in certain seats there in such high regard, but then they would allow the selling of oxen and sheep and doves and people to exchange money in the temple. Strikes me as strange, doesn't it, you? Verse 12, Matthew 21. And Jesus went into the temple of God. And he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. He overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, the verses we just read in Matthew 21 are not the same time as the verse we started with in John chapter 2. This is a different time when this took place. John chapter 2, it was the first public act of the ministry of Christ. Matthew chapter 21, I didn't realize this before either. Apparently this was the last public act of the ministry of Christ. So at the beginning of three, three and a half years of ministry, he came in and this consumed him. And so he drove these people out with a whip that he made. And then at the end of his ministry, he comes back and he finds it all right back there again. And so he drives it out again. Now, I, I read this and, and we referenced it briefly. I was sort of, I was struggling with the fact, I was trying to picture Oxen and sheep and doves and these money changers tables. I was trying to picture them in the temple. What did that look like? And so I, I searched, and you can find a, you can find outlines or diagrams of the Jerusalem temple in this in Christ's day. Because I wanted to, I'm thinking, man, where did they set up? You know, did they? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to be funny here. I was trying to imagine, did they? You know, did they bring the sheep and the sheep went over in this corner and the brazen altar was over here so you didn't have to take them very far if you bought one for... How did that work? Where did they... Well, the more I looked, I realized they didn't bring them in the inner part of the temple. The temple had multiple parts in Jerusalem. And so it had what was called Solomon's porch was part of the temple. And then... You could step from Solomon's porch in what was called the outer court. 
that went around the entire wall of the temple, the walled part of the temple. And then you could step in through a gate. The main gate of the temple was called Beautiful. You remember that from John or John from Acts chapter 3 where it says there was a lame man who sat by the gate Beautiful. He would have been sitting in the outer court of the temple. That was as far as he could go. Does that make sense? That's why he was sitting at the gate, beautiful. He was, he was in the outer court. That was part of the temple. But he couldn't go into the inner part of the temple because he was lame. And so therefore, he sat as far as he could, which was the outer court of the temple, right by the gate called beautiful. And then if you step through that beautiful gate, I'm sorry, I wish I had a diagram I'd show you, but just picture it with me. It's a rectangle. You could step through the gate called beautiful, and there was another court right there. That if this whole room here was the temple and you were in that court, we'd say this altar area was the court as you're progressing into the temple. You know what this court right here was? was? This was it, was, it was the women's court. This is where women went. Because women weren't allowed to enter into the temple any further than that. So they had a place that they could go to. And so when I started reading and looking at this, Oxen and sheep and tables of money changers, they weren't any further than that into the temple. They weren't inside the walls, per se, in the temple. But these oxen and these sheep and these doves and these money changers' tables, where they were, is they were filling Solomon's porch. And they were filling the outer court. And they were filling the women's court. You know what it did? It kept the women. It kept all of the Gentiles because the Gentiles could go in the outer court. And Solomon's porch is where all the sick and the lame could go because they could go in the outer court as well with the Gentiles. It kept all the sick, all the lame, all the women, and all the Gentiles far removed from the temple. Because all the money changers and the ox traders and the sheep traders, all that space was given over to them. And so the leaders of the religious day said, we've got our temple and we've got our places in the temple and we can do our stuff in the temple. But we're elite and we're above others and therefore we're okay with letting, you know, these people are doing good. They're selling oxen, which is needed for those of us that are elite to make our sacrifice. And they're selling this for those. But this way the temple isn't desecrated by having the lame and the blind. And we can just keep them from even getting around. And we'll preserve. Really what they were doing is they were practicing religious discrimination and elitism. It was elitism. And it kept out the very ones that Christ came to reach. And so when he, it, I, I really, it wasn't about the oxen. It wasn't about the sheep. It was about who it was pushing out and removing access for. That's what ate him up. And so he drove them out. What was he doing? He was saying, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And you've built so many traditions already around where they're supposed to be able to come. That you've removed a way for them to get to where I've made a place in my plan for them to come. 
And that's exactly what it did because the temple design was given of God. But when they built it, they built it and then began to allow things to come that kept God's plan for everyone to have some place of access and caused it to be removed. And so the zeal of the Lord consumed him. And he came in and began to drive out those that were taking the place that was reserved for the lame, the blind, the Gentile, and the women. That's why he was driving them out. He was disgusted, I believe. We know he was angry by the elitism and the removal of access of those that he had designed it for. It also speaks to the heart of God for every soul, no matter the condition. God forbid I would ever get to the place that wants to fill something in from the work of the kingdom. So that it keeps others out. That God's reaching to seek. These leaders that we read about in Matthew 23. They were so elevated in their thinking about their role. That they were no longer reaching the ones. That they were in a place to reach. They were only serving self-interest. Promoting self, promoting how they were viewed. Isn't any wonder the Lord said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I'd love to just gather you to myself, but you would not. He was speaking to these. It was interesting. You can read on through Matthew chapter 21. He left that day. The next morning, he went back. And verse 23 says, when he was come into the temple. I wonder if they remembered or recognized him from the day before. Because <laughs> it was the next day. Based on Matthew 18 says, now in the mornings, he returned into the city. And so he was in the temple. And the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, listen to their words, by what authority do you these things? And who gave you this authority? I've always read that and thought it's because of what he was teaching. I don't think it was because of what he was teaching. They were trying to understand, who gave you, where do you get the authority to come into the temple and start driving people out? Where do you get the authority to come in here and begin to turn over tables? Now, obviously, they weren't ready to question him the day before. Maybe he was really good with that whip, and they thought, we better just let this be. I don't know. But they weren't questioning him when he was in their scourge in the temple. But the next day when he's there teaching in the temple, they come to him. They're trying to figure out, where's this authority coming from? Because they know none of them gave it to him. But they realize he acted with authority. How do they know that? Because he didn't just crack the whip and yell out words. But the scripture says he drove out those. So in other words, 
those that were filling the space were not there any longer. So it wasn't just a little, put a little fear in them and then walk away and they're still there. Oh no, they were gone. He made room for those that were supposed to have room. And so the scribes and Pharisees are going, where did this authority come from for you to do this? It's interesting, we won't walk through it tonight, but you begin to look at Scripture and how often he references the temple and his work in the temple. It's the reason ultimately he told his disciples there's going to come a day where there won't be one stone left upon another because he understood this about men. Men given a physical place to control will ultimately seek to control it to their own interest and limit who can come and who can't and when they can come and how they can come. And so he said, I'm going to tear down the physical temple. And that way, whosoever will, let him come. And he said he'd make his temple in our hearts and in our lives. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, he said, what? No, you not as many as receive the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of God. The zeal of the Lord driving those out of the temple was the love of God making a way for you and I. He was making a way for you and I to approach unto him. Go back to Matthew 21, verse 12. I've read this so many times. Never stopped on this before, but watch. Matthew 21, verse 12. I know we've read this, but stay with me. And Jesus went into the temple of God, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. Over and if you saw the diagram of this, this wasn't a small little space. This would have been a big space, the outer court, the women's court, Solomon's porch. He cast out all of them that sold, bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers, seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Watch verse 14. Watch what happens. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. You know what the problem was? Before, they couldn't come to him in the temple. He made a way for them to get to him. It had been shut off. It had been closed out. That's why we read at one place in scripture, Solomon's porch was filled with all of those that were blind and lame. Why were they in Solomon's porch? Well... The outer court where they were supposed to be able to be was filled up with other people. And ultimately, apparently, Solomon's porch was even filled up with this. But the moment that he drove out those that weren't intended to be there, doing what they were doing, feeding their own fleshly desires, the blind and the lame are returning to their place, and he's healing them. Zeal of the Lord to drive that out was to make room for them to return. Again, his last public act. This was his last public act. Is it any wonder that when we read later in Scripture in Matthew chapter 27, and I'm finishing here, 
Matthew 27, verse 50. Actually, verse 39. Then we'll skip down to verse 50. Sorry, Brother Gilbert. Thank you. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Doesn't tell us who this is, but I have an idea. Verse 40, and listen what they said. Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. I can just imagine who was hanging on those words about what he said about the temple and what he'd do to the temple. They're the ones that are walking by reviling him and wagging their heads at him. Oh, you're going to destroy the temple? You're going to destroy our institution? Save yourself if you be the son of God. Come down from the cross. Oh, now we know. Verse 41. Likewise, also, the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders. That's the ones that sat in Moses' seat. That's the one that liked the chief place in the synagogues. Those are the ones that wore the phylacteries and enlarged the borders of their garment. They're the ones that took issue with his words about tearing down the temple. tear down the temple you tear down their institution you tear down the temple you tear down their sacred cow you tear down the temple you take away that which they hang their elite hat on you take away their ability to keep people out that's why he said I'm going to tear this temple down but watch verse 50 Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Watch the first thing that happens after that. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. See, even with driving out the money changers, the oxen, the sheep, it still meant the blind, the lame, the Gentiles, you and I, women, they still couldn't go all the way into the temple. All he was doing was letting them know, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to drive these out. You better get ready. I'm making a way. And then when he died, the first thing, you understand, the veil of the temple was the entrance to the holiest of holies where only the high priest could go once a year. I mean, he was the elite of the elite in all of this. The high priest. When Christ died, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And he was saying, I hear him, I, I know the scripture, I hear the Lord recording this. It's almost like, I wonder if the temple, it would have been great, wouldn't it, if it rent and it made this sound that said, whosoever will, let him come. 
whosoever will, let him come. And that's exactly what he did. He made a way. See, the enemy of your soul and mine, why don't you stand with me? He wants to tell us why we don't have the right to approach unto God. We're blind. We're lame. You know, we're, we're all of these things that are the reason why we don't have a right to approach unto God, to partake in that which takes place beyond the veil, much less to come into the temple. But everything Christ did from the first public act to the last public act of his ministry to the first thing that happened right after he died was about showing and telling and making it clear. I'm opening the door to anyone who will. Blind, lame, women, Gentile, it doesn't matter. I'm making place for you in the temple. I'm making access for you to come and approach unto me. Every act of his ministry, every act of his ministry was about restoring you and I to relationship with him. Every act, even making a whip and driving people out of the temple was about making a way for you and I to get back to him. That's unconditional love. That's unconditional love. Would you talk to him with me right now? Come on, talk to him. He's accessible to you and I. He's accessible to whosoever will. He is accessible to you and I. It's his design and it's his desire. It's the opening of the temple. No longer one made with hands. His desire to come and abide in the temple that is you and I. No respecter of persons. Jesus, in your name. Whosoever will, thank you. Whosoever will, thank you. Whosoever will, thank you. And we come in our broken and bruised condition, blind and lame. And he heals, he heals, he heals. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you come and find a place to pray right now. We'll open this altar to you. Come and talk with the Lord tonight. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, every part of the temple he's made available. Every part. We're no longer looking to natural temples. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Father, give me a heart like yours for whosoever will. Give me a heart like yours for whosoever will. In the name of Jesus, purge me of any idea that I'm any better than any other. Purge me of any thought of elitism, 
of self-interest in relationship to you, Father. I pray, draw, draw whom you will, use whom you will, in the name of Jesus, in the name Jesus name in Jesus name you know in the book of John we find an interesting story it's where Jesus healed the blind man at the pool of Siloam told him to go wash and he received his sight and this man was almost 40 years old and so when he received his sight, interestingly enough, one of the first places he went was to the temple. He could finally get in. And so he went to the temple. 
And apparently somebody recognized him. And you would think they would rejoice. But they wanted to know, uh, how were your eyes open? They started questioning him. Oh, you're here now. Everybody knew you were blind, so even that's tainting our image. How are your eyes open? And so he told them, well, there was this man, Jesus. He made clay. He anointed my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I see. And so then they said, well, where's he? They started questioning. This goes on so much. They're so concerned about this, just the, the craziness of it. They actually call his parents in. And say, how long has he been blind? They're trying to question whether he was really even blind or not. Why do they care? They're trying to protect their image. And everybody knew this man was blind. And now they see him coming into the temple. What's that going to do? God, help us purge us from any idea of some image that we've arrived because we've been washed in the blood and bought by Christ. And watch this fear that's on his parents. They ask his parents, how long has he been in this state? They said, well, since a child. How was he made whole? They said, well, we weren't there. Well, but how was he made whole? Finally, they said, you know what? He's of age. Ask him. You know why they didn't want to tell? They didn't want to say, well, he told us that he washed his eyes and Jesus did this. The scripture says in John 9, they feared. They feared that if they told how it happened, they would be put out. They would lose their elite place. There is a spirit that would try to rise up in the church. As the Lord begins to use his people and as he begins to place his people and as he begins to work through his people, the body of Christ, that we have to guard against that spirit that says, I've arrived. I'm elite. I'm above. I'm better than I'm God forbid. Whosoever will let him come. Where we read there in Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. We actually didn't read verse 15, but I'd like to read it and then we'll go. It boggles my mind. So he healed the lame and sick, right? That was verse 14. They came to him after he cast out those that him. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children were now crying in the temple, because see, children couldn't come all the way in either. He kept the children out. And saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They weren't excited. They were sore displeased. It was the spirit of religiosity, religious tradition. Keeping people out. Keeping people from getting to him. Praise God. Malachi said the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. I think he wanted to make sure when he suddenly came, whosoever will could get to him. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.